When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here, as always, with my co-pilot, Kyle. And today we're going to be talking part four of the Apple TV Plus limited series, Masters of the Air. Now, if this is your first time with us, we are on part four, so you've heard the spiel before, but I do want to take this moment to reroute you over to BingetownTV.com. From there, you guys are smart people. You can find all our social medias from there. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the good stuff. We have a active Discord community that has grown by the day, so check us out on Discord, Bingetown TV. And we are covering quite a few things at the moment, including True Detective Night Country. I hear the Night Boys are doing a great job covering that season four. And that's been having a lot of conversation online. We have the Traders over on Peacock. We have Solo Leveling. So we're getting into the anime game. Avatar The Last Airbender is right around the corner. Fingers crossed that that is good. (laughs) Fingers crossed hard. And we have Shogun over on FX, which is a big unknown, but early returns on just the trailers and the conversation around it. That's one that we're really excited for. And we are definitely going to be covering that. So if you like what you hear here for Masters of the Air, check us out on BingetownTV.com. And I also want to take this moment to thank people for their engagement on YouTube. You know, we do post a lot of our videos to YouTube and whenever we get comments, it just puts a smile on our faces, whether they're positive, negative. We want to hear if we're doing stuff right. We love if you guys are saying, yo, I love this. If we're doing something wrong, if we get any of the information wrong, please correct us, tell us. And especially for a show like this, where admittedly Kyle and I have already said we're not big history buffs. We are kind of just treating this like a TV show, but we are already getting a lot of comments with a lot of the historical context. One person pointed out that I may have been using a derogatory term for the Germans that I shouldn't have been using. So I will stick to the proper term Nazi That is much more palatable. So that is what we will be calling them going forward. And yeah, I just wanted to thank you guys. Like I said, positive, negative, whether we're doing stuff right or wrong, we want to hear it. And we love seeing your comments on the YouTube channel. And shout out Kyle for doing the video editing. Yes, thank you. And this one will be out a little late, obviously, because the Super Bowl. Yes, because of the Super Bowl. Yeah, we pushed our recording back a little bit so we could watch the big game. Yeah, it was a good game. It was competitive. I just hated the two teams. So it was like, you know, pick or poison. 
But yeah, so we're a little bit late getting the recording out. It is a pre-Valentine's Day recording, and it was a nasty morning here in Philadelphia. You want to talk about you want to talk about some soup, man. Yeah. We were driving through some soup this morning. I didn't know if I was going to make it, but I made it to work. I don't if know. Only, did you have uh, to go in today? I did not know. If only you could call your day off, like they could call off missions, maybe. That'd be kind of nice. Like, sorry, boss, a lot of soup out there. Can't make it to the lab today. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm just a frontline infantry, so I don't get to make those calls. Those are above <laughs> my fair. pay grade. That is fair. That is fair. All right. So why don't we get into this part four episode? And if part three was the massive scale Regensburg bombing mission, largest ever effort by the Air Force, this part four was a little bit of a catch your breath episode, not to say that it wasn't intense at moments, but noticeably we did not get any scenes in the air in this episode. We did not join the boys on a mission, so it was a little bit slower in that regard, but certainly a lot of implications going forward. Yeah, I liked this because we talked about it on previous episodes of is it going to be this copy and paste we get a debrief, we go up in the air, we do our investigations, we mourn the loss of people, repeat, repeat, repeat. So this was this was nice. And it's been a big focus on the pilots and flying and things like that. And I think the opening sentence to this episode is the perfect encapsulation of it, where it says it's Bucky saying that courage took many forms during the war. So we get a highlight on, you know, the widows, potential widows of of people that are fighting in the war, we get to see how the civilians in London are dealing with kind of, you know, the the scare of bombing. We get to see the mechanics. They get a little bit of shine. Lemons gets a nice focus in this episode. We get to see oh, yeah. Quinn and Bailey and how they're being helped by people, strangers, essentially, that have set up these networks of trying to save down soldiers. So I, I really enjoyed it. There's a lot of things that happened in this episode that were good and lots of new characters, lots of new characters. Lots of new characters, which we kind of have been talking about since the beginning. We knew that was going to happen. People are going to leave us, unfortunately, but they're going to be replaced. There's always another soldier waiting in the wings. And I agree. I think this was a good episode to remind us that, you know, wars aren't only fought on the front lines. Even as a civilian, I couldn't imagine just living in London during constant bombing raids by the German. I, I mean, that one scene, it's pretty much the last scene where Bucky's just walking the streets and it's this one mother just wailing that her daughter was caught. I I yeah. couldn't imagine. I, I do a book club with my family and the, the book club of February is called The Rose Code by Kate Quinn and it's historical fiction on World War II and like the code breaking that went on in mm-hmm. Bletchley Park outside of, of London. And yeah, it's just interesting to read that perspective of, you know, people that weren't actually fighting, but that all of the effort that was required outside of actually shooting a gun, flying a plane is just mm-hmm. like massive. It's just, it's nice to get the focus on them. I thought Helen, a very interesting focus on Helen this episode. She seemed like maybe like a little one-off type of character that was just attractive in another episode, but she actually had a little bit of, I don't want to say an arc, but she played a, an important role. I thought in this episode, which was, which was good. Absolutely. And I have a couple thoughts on her, but why don't we get into it? We will get to Helen and kind of her love interest in this episode, et cetera, et cetera. So we kind of have 
three distinct buckets. So we're going to do it a little bit differently instead of just running it start to finish. We're going to focus on the Quinn and Bailey storyline and their journey trying to get back to England first. So we'll knock all of those out. Then we will handle pretty much all the scenes at Thorpe Abbott. And I guess before that, one scene in Algeria because our boys are still in Africa at the beginning of this episode. And then Bucky kind of has his little weekend away in London. And we will tie our recording up with his two scenes in London. So let's get right to it. When, as we know, he parachuted out after the debacle in the Regensburg mission. And he is really just kind of on the lam and at the mercy of his French helpers trying to get him back to England. And I guess the first scene is the guy that we saw in the last episode takes him to the restaurant and just has him wait. We see that Bailey also kind of got funneled into the same kind of transport system and there's this other guy, uh, a mysterious guy. I think his name was Bob. Yeah, doesn't Bob. matter. <laughs> We're going to forget about Bob. But yeah, don't get too attached is what I'm saying. <laughs> this was just really neat. I mean, the contrast between Quinn and Bailey, who are kind of still a little bit lighthearted and not taking everything 100% serious and like contrast that with the french people that are taking care of them and just how laser focused they are they are absolutely on it but it was very interesting seeing quinn and bailey get process and bob get processed by the french investigators i guess their questionnaires just trying to feel them out to make sure they really are americans yeah it was interesting watching the first time and the only thing that I really clocked was okay. The first thing was the funny question about Babe Ruth and the Dodgers, which makes sense yeah. as like a low level question you would ask an American, especially an American soldier. But the I just remember thinking, like, damn, Bob is really into this Star Spangled Banner. Like, he loves this song. And then obviously we get to the reveal later on of, of Bob's true nature. But I, I didn't catch some of the other things. I saw online that people had kind of talked about his, like, there's slight twangs in his accent that you can tell is like a little bit german-esque and then the way that he writes his numbers is very european apparently really yeah because they they did do that little zoom in on the date when he wrote it okay so i think like the nine and the four people said were very european i would have never known ever that's interesting i mean i'm sure if you're looking for them which the french were there are some pretty telltale signs that someone is not yeah. an American. And I I'm thought sure. the interesting one was they asked Bailey, I think, do you know where Trafalgar Square is, which I believe is in London and anybody in Europe probably would have been familiar with that. Mm-hmm. But an American, that's probably not something you would learn. So interesting questions. And of course, Bailey and Quinn pass seemingly, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was a cool scene, and they take him out of the restaurant, and once they get, I guess they were just going through the woods, but boom, Bob is no more, they execute him, and right there, the stakes are raised. If Quinn and Bailey weren't on board yet, they're going to start getting a little bit more serious going forward. Yeah, I like how Bailey had like a defensive stance, too. He felt more like a soldier reacting Mm. to that. Quinn just kind of looked surprised. Bailey like got like crouched into an athletic stance. I just That was something that I noticed. I also read on the internet that the The Star Spangled Banner thing was something that they really did use. Apparently, it was like someone talking about a story that their grandfather had told about how when they would 
run into people or capture people, they would ask them to sing, sing the Star Spangled Banner. And if they knew the second verse, they knew that they weren't actually Americans. Because really? like American soldiers just like didn't really give a fuck apparently about like even even in this Quinn when he gets the second verse that's he just mm-hmm, he just kind of hums okay. the beat. Yeah. So that was Quinn humming it. Yeah. I thought that was a tell that Bob was not an American because yeah. he didn't know the ver- that kind of also makes sense. It would have made sense either way, but okay, that's yeah. which I just thought was funny. Yeah, because I think especially nowadays most maybe not most people, but. I feel like more people maybe would know the second verse and things like that. But I guess back in the day, day it was kind of like, whatever. Well, you and I were in the same education system since fifth grade. I would imagine 99.9% of our high school knew the national anthem. Yeah. And I would imagine that's countrywide. So maybe just a difference of the times. Who knows? In any rate, they were using that as a screening. Acapella would be kind of hard, though. The whole thing, acapella, I think would be a little difficult. That's where you and I defer, I suppose. Yeah. If I had, I got a beat. song in my heart, and I got to sing it, Kyle. <laughs> if I had to beat, I could do it. If you had to beat, if oh, I had well, to beat, I'll give you, I'll give you to beat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> peanut butter, peanut butter, peanut butter, ground beef. I like Bailey, I, and yeah. and focusing on Bailey, he was the dope that like threw the salt over his shoulder. That was a bad start for Bailey. I was like, who is this knucklehead? But now he he is rebounding nicely. So continuing on with them in the later scene, it is, I I guess there was a time skip because I think Bailey says, not in my wildest dreams when I knew I was going sent off to war, did I imagine spending a month on a farm in Belgium? So I guess they were kind of being fostered by that Belgian family. Wynn gets a kiss goodbye from someone who you correctly pointed out was his little bit of a love interest. Yeah, Louise. Louise, never forget. Yeah, he has the little scarf too. He gets the little scarf from her. It mm-hmm. looks like at least. Yeah. And I think the so the month thing feels right with so we go and we they get taken to this farmhouse where they meet Michou. Yep. It's this younger woman. And it, they have all these papers. So I assume it just took time for them to create all of these false documents. Well, they also said that they have way more mm, true fallen soldiers than people to guide them back to England. So they're kind of being overrun. So I guess they just got to sit tight. And I think Bailey was like, nah, I, I get it. There's yeah. there's a ton of us falling out of the sky. That makes sense because we do see forts go down every time we get up in the air. So, yeah. So, yes, we meet Mishu and kind of this short lasting love with Louise blows up in his face because Mishu's like, search the bag, let me see it, pulls out a a little love letter, and the guy's just like, what the hell do you think the Nazis are going to do if they get a hold of this? I mean, they're going to go to Louise, they're going to torture her entire family, once they get the names they need, they're going to execute them, and then they're going to go on to the names that they were given. And that's the reality here. I love that this is a part of war that, like I just said, neither of these two thought they would be in this position, and now they're learning, like, Okay, even when I'm not in a gunship, I still got to be on my toes and looking for all this stuff. That's a good point, too, because we see them in the other episodes when they're not on the ship, they can kind of fuck around on the base a little bit. Mm -hmm. But this is like they're, you know, they're constantly on the plane, basically, at this point, at all hours, every single day, every second. And Mishu says it, sums it up perfectly. Here, stupid means dead. Facts. 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 So the next scene is them on a train going through paris and i mean 
this was just a stressful scene yeah. from top to bottom. Right. When they kind of start slowing down, they see the Nazi flag. They see the Nazi soldiers like they are yeah. deep in the weeds right now. And uh, and she leaves. <laughs> she literally she goes says, to make pee pee. She says, <laughs> do everything I do. And then she gets up to leave and they get up and they're like, yeah. And she's like, no. And then it just everything falls to shit when she leaves. So now that I, Quinn gets fucking freaked out and definitely the wrong move. But I mean, they definitely got caught with their pants down. Basically, he thought it was had. Exactly. And he had no way to communicate. Mishu comes back and says, no, 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 no they're deaf and calms down the situation. I also thought it was poorly planned because we find out that there is a second person as a guide other than Mishu. Like, maybe have a buddy system. Okay, I got to go make pee-pee, get the other girl in yeah. to, to watch the idiots. But when she goes to make pee-pee, we do get closure on the baby face of it all. Bailey's like, dude, one thing that I can't, it's sticking in my head. And Quinn drops the news. Nah, dude, I had to leave him. It is what it is, but poor baby face. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of baby face combining with positive and informational YouTube comments, baby face was from Pennsylvania, apparently like an hour and a half drive from Philly. Hey, how about that? Local lad. RIP. Baby face and DeMarco and uh, DeMarco had a bad off screen episode, too, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. (laughs) So... We kind of talked about it. Train operator comes. They can't communicate anything and they give him the wrong paperwork. And luckily, Mishu comes in after Quinn runs away. That all happens. And Bailey says, you do that again. I'm knocking you out, brother. Fair. Absolutely fair. Fair. I mean, their fates are tied right now. If one of them gets found out, they're both getting found out. So, yeah. Very curious to see where we pick up with this storyline in the next episode. Like I it a jump. Are we, you know, are we on to Spain? Are we still in France? I'm just curious. This just intrigues me a lot. I wouldn't mind them dragging out this storyline because I, I am also intrigued by it. And I want to see every step of the way. I want to go through the anxiety of them having to deal with the Nazi officers. And I also think this Mishu and the other girl are very capable people. So I want to see them be able to kind of show their chops. So. Anything else you want to hit with Quinn and Bailey? No, all good here. It was a good storyline, and I think it's going to remain interesting going forward. So let's rewind to the first scene of the episode. It's our boys chilling in Talergma, Algeria. Straight chilling in Africa. We got a scene for the ladies. Austin Butler with his shirt off. Just (laughs) all all the boys and the wife beaters, man. They're they're writing letters to their sweethearts. That was nice. it was nice. Absolutely. And I, I just keep thinking like in today, even soldiers must have access to a cell phone and just be able to text like, hey, babe, I'm doing fine. How was your night? Like the only communication is probably months away from each other. So like that note, that's an important note. He's yeah. trying to get the words right. We think writing it, sending it, recipient receiving it. Them running their response, sending their response, you receiving the response, yeah. Uh, just the the silence would probably be just add an extra layer of pressure and anxiety and all that kind of stuff on it. Yeah, for Ooh. sure. I like how he says and, I hope at the end too. He adds that in. Which is fair. So this is our first scene of the episode, and I think you said it was Bucky. I'm not sure if it's still Cross, who is our narrator, but he essentially just 
ties together. Last episode, he said the Regensburg Schweinberg Schweinfurt mission was their largest and costliest to date. They lost Clater, Biddick, Van Noy, and their crews. And we, of course, have closure. Biddick is dead, but Cross says. We don't know if their shoots went off. Like, we have no way of confirming if they're still alive or not. And I was holding out hope that he wasn't actually dead and it was some off screen, didn't actually die nonsense. No, Kurt Biddick did die in that mission. Yeah, sad rips in the chat. Yeah, sad to see him go. Well, this was a very hard transition, too, it felt like from Algeria to back to England. Mm-hmm. Not that they need to waste any time on things. I just, remember being like oh my gosh okay we're just like that i guess problem of them being in busted up planes in algeria was fixed fairly quickly we were talking about it and i was hoping that they would show us the transport back to england which they neglected to do like you said probably for time saving there is a comment where buck says Oh, there's the 12th. So they were coming in their Humvees and stuff, presumably to gather them all up and send them on their way. But like you said, it is kind of a very, very stark transition. And hey, they're back in Thor Babbitt again. Yeah. September 1943, which I do appreciate the continual updates of the dates. In Algeria, was it August 43? I want to say yes. Okay. So August to September. Cool. That checks out. And when they're back in Thorpe Abbott, we get a little bit of a glimmer of hope or optimism, and we have this concept of the 25 mission complete gets you home. And the first one to do it is Captain Glenn Dye. And we kind of join everybody waiting on tender hooks for, oh, are they going to come back? Like his girl is there looking at the sky, just waiting for him. And all the while I'm thinking, oh, this is not good that like they are making this huge blowout about the one guy who's been able to make it even to 24. And sure enough, Die comes back. He's doing like cartwheels in the air, whatever you want to call him. Everybody's everybody's just hyped. Something like that has to be just a monumental morale boost for the people that have been there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I mean, and they even say it too later on when we get to the shindig when Mm-hmm. die is talking and honestly it's both perspectives where he's like they're gonna you know pray me around to show people that it can be done you can get yeah. to 25 missions and then we get to see and we're introduced to our new character one of our new characters patty and patty shares your perspective of he's like we're doing all of this because one crew got to 25 yeah. missions like this and is let's a get it right moment. let's get it right his name is pappy oh pappy Pappy, so yes. Pappy, okay. All my notes are wrong. East, AK, Lewis, a.k.a. Pappy, Pappy, I believe. Yes, yes. So, And that brings us to our four new characters, Rosenthal, Nash, Spies, and Lewis, a.k.a. Pappy. And it seems like Rosenthal is going to be our main of the four. Like, he might be an important player. And I believe one of the YouTube comments said, I cannot believe. Excuse me, I cannot wait until Rosie Rosenthal is introduced into the series. So I'm very optimistic about what our boy is yeah. going to be bringing to the table. And it's it's really cool that they're giving us this perspective again, because we were kind of given this perspective in part one through Buck and Bucky, who are just very optimistic. They're like ready to get their their mm-hmm. skin in the game. 
But now it's part four. We know what's going to happen. So we are just like, oh, you sweet summer children. Yeah. And it's perfectly on display here, too. They have this conversation mm-hmm. and not to skip over the the initial kind of Helen stuff, but Bucky mm-hmm. and Buck walk up to them and ask, you know, they're talking about their training and how they you know, spent nine months, 12 hours a day, which is a fucking incredible commitment to learn how to fly these planes. And we get the funny thing about them flying in their underwear and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And then they kind of end it where Rosenthal is like, we're just kind of we've been requesting a combat position, like we're happy to be in the war and to do something. And then Bucky just says, oh, you'll do something. And we know <laughs> what that means, but it's just that classic yeah. back to episode one, I think it is, where it's just you can't tell them. They just have to find out for themselves what it actually means to fly in the war. Mm-hmm. And like you were alluding to, this is kind of where we get the Helen of it all. Nash shoots his shot and, and boom, swish, nothing but net. Yeah, <laughs> he's a legend, dude. They set yeah. her up as this like on this pedestal of you know, one of the prettiest mm-hmm. chicks in camp and people have tried and maybe struck out and he just walks up, Helen and Troy, next to the other dancing, he's putting it on, he's a beast. What a line, Helen and Troy, come on. She was good. she was a little awestruck yeah, there. Man, and it's in, I'm not sure if it's in this scene or the next morning before he goes out on mission, but he's asking her, like, how did someone as beautiful as you find their way halfway across the world? And she's just like, I, I wanted to help the effort. I wanted to do something. Next thing you know, I'm in England serving coffee to in the Air Force. Like the jobs that arise and how people just choose to support the war effort. I mean, back in the forties, it's just insane. Could you imagine that is what your life just turns into on a whim? And she's probably a young 20 something. Like we would have been in college at the time or maybe even high school. It's, I don't even have much commentary other than it's bonkers to me. And I'm going to keep saying stuff like that. Yeah. The commitment as this, this is the greatest generation, right? Right, the well, if it's generation. not the greatest, it's pretty great. Yeah, the greatest generation, <laughs> and then we get the boomers. But yeah, I mean, just on display, it's it is wild, and it is here in the dancing scene, and that's part of him schmoozing her. And when she says, "You know, I wanted to be like I can be that last pretty face that they see before they go off or whatever," and then he plays off that perfectly. Yeah. If only he had made it back. Well, you know what? We'll we'll get there when we get there. So. The ending of this little so-called shindig scene is Colonel Harding, who has clearly had a couple drinks, goes <laughs> a, stumbles up to the boys and it's just like, I just had a disheartening conversation with Doc here, who says, you boys are getting a little flack happy. And he's downplaying it. He kind of has a confrontation with Bucky and Harding doesn't know it's a confrontation because he's drunk. Harding like whispers into someone's ear. He's like, if we were to load our heaviest bomber with 500 tons of bombs and we just bomb the shit out of Hitler, we could end this war tonight. And Bucky's just like, well, listen, who's flack happy now? Yeah. Just blank stare. And he's like, it's you Harding. And he laughs it off. But it was awkward. It was awkward. But I mean, that has got to be disrespectful to the people that are actually in the air because okay, yeah. uh, we we haven't seen Harding in the air. He's just the one giving the orders. Okay. You guys got to go on this bloody Regensburg mission. And he's saying, Oh, you guys aren't flack happy. I think he even says, as long as you can get in the plane, like I'm sending you off. And Bucky's Bucky has to be the voice of reason of all people saying, no, man, you're the one seeming a little flack happy yeah. because you just don't get it. And 
this is going to bring me to there's a term that we haven't really said before, but it's called the bomber mafia. And apparently this is kind of like a slang term, but there was a philosophy. We've already broken down the philosophy between the Brits and the Americans, the daytime versus the nighttime bombing. But the Americans, from what I'm reading, took it one step further and they suggested that bombers could win the war independently. They didn't need any fighter escorts. And that's kind of how we have these large scale massive operations that consisted mainly of just bombers because the philosophy of the bomber mafia was that bombers that are armed with like three gunmen on any side should be able to protect themselves without fighter escort. And they kind of stubbornly kept to this philosophy, even though the returns were poor and it didn't really prove itself to be true. Case in point is the Regensburg mission where They did not have a fighter escort, or I believe they had a fighter escort as far as midway through Belgium, but they were flying deep into German territory only on bombers, and that's why they just got absolutely massacred. And so there is a technology called drop tanks, which are essentially just external fuel tanks that are expendable. And once they're diminished, they can just drop them if they're not in an emergency or they can just fly back with them. So this bomber mafia, it it was seemingly a little bit of hubris from what I'm reading too. They were so confident that the bombers alone should be able to defend themselves that they kind of just refused developing this technology of drop tanks. So their fighters could only go so far. And then they were like, nah, the bombers got it the rest of the way. Wow. But sure enough, that was just not true at all and from everything i'm reading is it was just stubbornness from this so-called bomber mafia that kind of just said the bombers are going to be able to handle it without the fighters yeah just fed them to the wolves absolutely and there's one quote i I mean this is just on the wikipedia but in the context of the regensburg mission so as soon as the reconnaissance photographs were received on the evening of the 17th generals eker and anderson knew that the schweinfurt raid had been a failure that would be the separate one on the ball bearing factories that was not successful the excellent return excuse me the excellent results at regensburg were small consolation for the loss of 60 b17s the results Jeez. of the bombing were exaggerated and the high losses were well disguised in after mission reports everyone who flew the mission stressed the importance of escorts in reducing losses the planners grasped only that schweinfurt would have to be bombed again soon in another deep penetration unescorted mission so yeah. essentially they said we just got to hit it again Yeah, just throwing bodies at it. And I think I brought that up now because I think that's kind of what they were trying to show with that Harding scene there, that he is just, he doesn't have any skin in the game. Well, he kind of does, but he's not up there in the air. He's not seeing what's going on. And the leadership is not seeming to grasp that the bombers alone cannot do the job and they need escorts. And I know that was a long rant, but I think this bomber mafia mentality is very important, seeing as though this whole series is through the perspective of a bomb squad or a bomb group oh for sure i mean bucky even to start this scene the conversation he's talking to buck and he's they're kind of reflecting on these new names we they we talk a little bit earlier i think die or someone ends up mentioning that only 12 out of the 35 that flew from greenland initially are still here and then it's he says like you know we'll fall 
they will forget our names and someone will come and take our place like like we never even existed and he's totally yep. feeling like the weight of those losses the the reality of that what he's actually quote unquote you could say fighting for and all that kind of stuff so no i mean that that totally is is a good high level i guess addition to kind of the show yeah. and just the commentary on on the perspective you have to come at it with i mean it, it, this scene and again like we said before that it's very clear that harding and bucky are coming at this interaction from two different perspectives and sides for and sure. like levels of seriousness for sure and kind of just again i want to emphasize kind of the morbid acceptance of their circumstance that bucky and buck have come to realize and when Nash comes to him and says, hey, any advice for trying to make it to 25? And they're like, okay, well, Buck's, Buck here is going on 21. I'm on 20. And they're like, try to make it to 11. Because if you make it to 11, you've either beaten the odds or you haven't. Yeah, and he's like, like now get the that? fuck out of here. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely no help. I mean, Buck just literally says, try not to die. Try not to die. I mean, <laughs> I would be fucking I... shit in my pants if that was like my first day on the base and I asked for fucking advice from these guys and all they said was try not to die. I mean, fair, that's literally yeah. all I can say, but I would just be like, fuck. And we do end the scene, the shindig scene on a high note. We get to see a little buck dancing with meatball. I'm going to tell Marge this was this was a great scene. I needed to see someone dancing with meatball and it was just very wholesome and and pure. Big meatball episode. Big meatball episode. Big meatball episode. Yeah. I this is so funny. Just as the final thought of this, because the flack happy, I couldn't tell the first time I watched what he was actually trying to say. Because he's like, I don't care what you guys do when you're not in the air. And then it's like at the end, this is Harding. At the end, he's like, single Phillies, like, let's get the lead out, boys. So I couldn't tell yeah. if he was trying to say, like, you guys are flack happy. I thought I couldn't tell if he was using it as like a sexual euphemism, like you guys act up so much outside of flying and like the doctor has an issue with it but i don't give a fuck what you do outside of flying because as long as you fly it's okay with me but i think after what you just said it makes more sense that the doctor was saying like we're losing so many yes. people and have so many casualties and he's like fuck that, i don't care yeah no I yeah immediately he's sexual it. euphemism <laughs> i I do not think it was a sexual oh, no, euphemism, I mean, I not feel so strongly about that. I also wanted to highlight the exchange where he's like, oh, well, every every war throughout history has its charm or its nuance or something. And the guy's like, yeah, we haven't had yeah, air right. fights like we do in this day and age. This has never been seen in the history of war. Yeah. Lots of technological advances in World yeah. War II. I, I mean, mean well, the necessity yeah. of war, I suppose. And but the World War One version was what trench warfare, the idea of like the, you know, more automatic machine style weapons. I mean, the rate of fire was insane while we're still kind of marching straight lines at each other. So yeah, that's an interesting way to describe like the nuances or like their little specialties, yeah. I guess you could say of war. It gets, it's obviously a very morbid topic. All right. So let's move on to the next morning or a different morning in the future. And this is where we get Nash flirting up with Helen. But this is another mission day. So the boys are woken up early. And at this point, we're going to go back and hit the Bucky scenes. But Bucky is not available for this mission. He's got his weekend pass to go to London. But the rest of the 100th is going to be flying out. Nash is flirting with Helen. You know, you could be the last pretty face that I ever seen. Ha ha ha. 
Yeah. Be careful what you wish for, buddy. Yeah. And she's like, stop it. Don't say that. I'll see you later. I mean, fair. That's how she should act. But well, Helen's been there for a while. So she knows that those aren't empty words. And I don't know. It's crazy. I I found myself thinking, how many guys has that been? Because they already made a point to say that I I think it was Lewis or Douglas rather did it in part one or two. Was he the first? Was he like the fifth? Has she seen guys come try and make a move on her and she kind of reciprocates and then never sees him again? That just reminded me. Douglas was the one writing the letter at the start. So who was he writing that letter to? Where he's, I mean, it ends with, you're the, you're the only girl for me, I hope. I mean, I don't think he was writing that. Hel- was he writing that letter to Helen? I don't think so. I could have gotten the name mixed up that he was the no, original. It's the same guy, though, I think. Guy with the mustache. Well, he, has, maybe, he has a little mustache. He definitely was the one that was trying to make her laugh. He's like, well, I'll bet you whatever. Maybe he's got more than one iron in the fire, man. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, he's playing the quantity game, baby. Who am I to judge with the man? I don't think they're the ever going to meet. Country. Yeah, that's fair. Unless he unless he mixes up the letter addresses and yeah, that would yeah, cool. yeah. Ooh, yeah. that would be yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> the original version of like a drunk text sent to the wrong person. Oh, that would be wild. Okay. <laughs> well, in any rate, yeah, that ties us to what is the mission of the day, and it is going to be a re bombing of the u-boat pens in bremen which went catastrophically wrong wrong in i think that was part one that was the first mission that we had yeah so right when they say bremen that has an ominous tone this is where we do have ken lemons the the crew guy get highlight he's the man i mean Whatever happens with Buck, Ken Lemons might be a number two on my favorite character chart. 19 years old, he's like, dude, I can I can just take care of this while you're taxiing. Don't worry about it. He's on the wheel, dude. Yeah. He's catching the screw falling. Everybody's just like, he's not going to make it. Totally makes it. Yeah, DeMarco, our boy, didn't believe in him. Hmm. Sorry, that's classic Philly attitude. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> trust anybody unless I knew they were from Philly. That's that's just me. That was a, he was like, ah, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. <laughs> but that kind of highlights what kind of a leader Buck is. He's like, hey, if he says he's going to do it, we got to trust that he's going to yeah, do it. And sure enough, nice. he does. He does come through with it. And I got to say. When I saw that DeMarco was flying with Buck, I was like, oh, my so gosh, our boy DeMarco <laughs> is safe. They got history armor, as we as we said in the previous episode, yeah. instead of plot armor. But we'll, we'll <laughs> see where that lands, because that is definitively an off-screen death. And I, this kind of brings me to, like I said, the YouTube comments have been giving us pretty good historical context, which we love. I keep going back and forth between if I want to treat this as a television show where I don't want to have the end spoiled, but I also want that historical knowledge and the context because it really elevates the experience so much. And where I'm leaning is that I one dude flat out said, oh, I can spoil the entire show yeah. for you. And then he I stopped reading the comments after that. Yeah, I was like, bro, come on. But <laughs> please keep leaving comments. We appreciate yeah. it. But I I think I'm going to try and keep big plot points away i i don't really want to know the fates of our main characters yeah, quite yet and that's then, the big thing exactly so that's all i have to say about that thank you for engaging with our youtube and <laughs> yeah i mean it just feels obvious that they're not dead i will say in the opening credits it seems like buck is 
in a cold POW camp or something. So I think that's where we're heading here. And I feels like the third, let's say the third leg of the stool is, you know, we have, we watched the air missions. Now we have people who were downed and not captured, but finding their way back to, let's say camp civilization safety. And then we have yeah. third part of that is prisoners of war type of deal. So that seems it's, for sure. Like we just need that storyline as well. Forget the full experience of the, you know, the unfortunateness, the hell on earth that was the war. Definitely. And it would have been good foreshadowing from last episode where Buck has his moment says, you sit there and take it. He also says, I ain't spending this war in a stalag. Yeah. And he, yeah, he might is. wind up doing exactly that. Yeah. So a very interesting thing before they took off, though, mm-hmm. they mentioned that he is about to hit 20 missions. And I was just curious, and this could just probably 21, just a question. Actually, for 20, there you go. Even more case in point. So what I'm about to say is I counted. They had the little bombs on their planes and there was I counted 18 of them. There was 18 bombs. Three of them were red. It looked like the red ones were counting like every fifth one. I was just curious. I assume those mean missions felt odd that there was only 18. Maybe there was some on the other side. I'm not really sure. I tried to look it up real quick on the internet, but nothing came back. Potentially, that could be specific to the fort itself and not the pilot. I'm not sure if they stay with the same fort, if maybe they they come back from a mission and the fort. Well, I guess if the fort is beyond repair, maybe they get a replacement Mm. fort for the crew. That's I'm not sure that that is definitely something that we could uh, look into a little bit more. Yeah, just like, I, I guess they try that, to stay with the same fort just because, you know, we had Alice from Dallas that went down. Alice from Dallas, of course. Yeah. yeah. So I just maybe just it was all a note. All of Crosby's confirmed kills, dude. They're just I was also thinking like maybe it was maybe it was planes they'd taken down. That would be pretty cool, too. Uh, speaking of that, you brought up what is the friendly fire prevalence of friendly fire and from my light research it was prevalent non-insignificant number of friendly fire i saw someone put like two percentage on it yeah yeah Yeah. which is i'm not sure how accurate that is but we were kind of beating around that bush they're flying in these tight formations you're tracking a fighter doing freaking barrel rolls all around you inevitably you are going for sure. There's I mean, going to be a bomber in your line of fire. You let loose a hundred bullets. If two of them are hitting your boys, that feels you know significant, even though technically percentage wise, it's not. I couldn't imagine that feeling. If you yeah. see that you yeah. took down a friendly bomber. Oh my goodness. War man. It weighs heavy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we send the hundredth off to Bremen. It is not a battle that we get to see. I'm almost hoping that we do get to see this mission in the air next episode. I'm yeah. not sure if we will. Point being, we go back to Thorpe Abbott with the bombers returning. 24 forts went out, three mechanical returns, only 13 came back. That makes for eight lost fortresses. Among them, Kid, Blakely, DeMarco, Buck, and Cross. I don't think they were all in individual forts. Obviously, DeMarco and Buck were together. I think Kid and Blakely were as well. But right there, that is two of our four majors. Yeah. Kid and Buck. That's just tough. They even say they say it's 80 people lost. So 10 to a fort. What you just mentioned with Regensburg, I mean, 60 lost. It's 600 fucking people. I'm saying, man. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of people. That's a lot of bodies. And and they even mentioned here that like some of the new guys. So 
that just have to have the mentality, I guess, of just next man up type of deal. But they they do linger on Buck. You know, Harding lingers on Buck here. Well, at that point, he would have been a presence in the 100th, not only because he's a major, so he's a little bit higher up than a frontline infantryman, but he had chops as a pilot. I think yeah. everybody knew how capable he was. And Cross said in part one that him and Bucky were the unquestioned you know, quote, leaders of the group. So yeah. they're going to talk about him. And when they hear Buck went down, they're like, holy shit. OK, they must have seen some some stuff up there. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get our newbies that come back and then, you know, they get their first taste of what it was like. Dude, the thousand yard stare of Rosenthal. Just I love I kind of get a kick of how they have a shot of whiskey on one side and the coffee set up on the other <laughs> I side. Mean, let me like, get two of both. Hey, can confirm, buddy. And they go through interrogation and it's it's kind of just mirroring what we saw in part one. I mean, everybody's just yelling. You kind of get glimpses of, dude, there was just he nobody said, dude, I can confirm. Nobody <laughs> said, dude, that was me. <laughs> but heavy flack. They said their first element or their lead wing went down early and then it was just all all so, craziness from then on yeah. out. They couldn't really get it back together. And I mean, going deep into Nazi territory, this is the nature of the job. I mean, yeah. it is a dangerous mission. And like I said earlier, they they were kind of optimistic that the bombers would be able to cover themselves. And that was not the case. So I was really interested by Pappy's reaction in the aftermath. He still seemed... Again, obviously, everybody reacts differently, and there's a level of adrenaline and shock involved. And he he seemed very like still kind of focused and like into it, which was just something I noticed. I don't think I have a comment beyond that. He just seemed to be like he was very matter of fact in the interrogation, smoking his cigarette. He's telling Rosenthal like we got to get to interrogation, all that kind of stuff. So he felt like he was like in the fucking zone still while Rosenthal, like you said, had the thousand yard stare. He's thinking yeah. about how Nash went down. He wants to tell Helen, all that kind of stuff. And it, Pappy just felt very one track minded, which was just an interesting difference in their reactions. We will see what these two characters have in store for us now that they have their, their legs underneath them. Yeah. And we'll see what they have to bring to the 100th. And clearly we're going to need leaders to step up. If we lost kid, we lost buck. And like you already said, Rosenthal is the one who splits away to break the news to Helen. And her reaction was kind of just like, fuck, it, it, it was very well acted. Well, it was like, fuck, but also like, yeah, that's yeah. how it goes here. I, I, she is not naive to who the men that are trying to flirt with her are and, and what the consequences of their job are. It's war, man. Yeah. Oh my it's god. Also, it's an interesting contrast between her and then who we'll get to quite soon of the the blonde woman who Bucky spends a night in London with. They have a very interesting kind of parallel in this episode. Absolutely. And I mean, we're pretty much there if we want to move on to this Bucky. Yeah. I think the one comment I will have is that it was also interesting that they had Harding not that he hasn't done it before, maybe off screen, but I thought it was interesting that they purposely had him walking around the interrogation room and like listening into Pappy and Rosenthal talk about like Buck's plane mm -hmm. and like what happened there. So he was obviously concerned and like wanted to know what happened there. You're saying specifically about Buck? Yes, that's what I okay, took I away. Gotcha. From. 
Okay, I didn't really pick up on that, but love it. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about this this Bucky storyline. And he gets his little weekend pass to London. And I'm sure he's just going to be kicking himself that this is the weekend he decided to take a little vacay for himself. Yeah. But he's kind of forced by Bucky or Buck, rather. Yeah. I mean, hey, we're not going to hold it against him, but. It revolves around his relationship with this this woman from Poland who clearly is fleeing the war herself. She sought safety in London, and we find out that she is a widow of a Polish pilot who she says straight up, yeah, you remind me a lot of him. He wanted to stick around in Poland and fight the good fight, and now he's dead in a potato field. Yeah, it it's a very morbid and Bucky's been on 20 missions now, so he knows the deal too. So it's a very frank relationship between these two. And this woman was made of fucking steel, if you ask me. I mean, she just seemed, I don't know. This was a cool scene. You never really think about what someone would do on their free time if they do get away from kind of the military action. And he does what I would probably do is get fucked up and party for a night (laughs) like it's your last. Yeah, seriously. I thought the... The dancing scene especially was just interesting. It feels like they're mm-hmm. just in this like small little room and not to plug that I'm part of a book club again, but that book that I'm reading has a scene in it where it's like more well-to-do people from British society have like this nightclub that's advertised as, you know, the safest in London. It's however many mm-hmm feet underground and all this kind of stuff. And one of the characters goes there and they're having a night out just like this they're all dancing and drinking and you know it's soldiers on leave and all that kind of stuff and it gets bombed and it's just like you know that shit just like happens so it was just it just reminded me of that and it's crazy yeah that like while he's technically away from the war as we see in scenes after this like london is still getting bombed so like they're away from the war quote unquote but the war is still right there type of deal so yeah you don't have much of a choice to just drink party dance fuck yeah take a blonde polish woman (laughs) to bed i mean goddamn yeah and they have an interesting conversation where bucky's contemplating what is the balance of all this and she says straight up no there is no balance the innocent are going to die the worst people are probably going to make it through this thing alive and that's all it is and she had an interesting quote the closer to death you are the more alive you feel which is that's got to be true yeah i haven't been in any like literally getting by by the skin of my teeth like threatening circumstances but yeah i guess (laughs) i can't i'm not gonna say she's wrong i'm sure she probably has some some pretty firsthand experience i thought the shot of of bucky watching the bombing at night with the sirens and stuff was yeah i think probably my favorite shot from the episode I think it just, even without the words, it says a lot and they talk about it a little bit more. And he's kind of saying like, I definitely have done that a lot from the air. Like I've totally done this to Germany. So just like him thinking about that. And she is like, on the other hand, more pretty much what you were saying of like, don't fucking feel bad about it. Like they're all scumbags. Yeah. It's, I read a little snippet that throughout the course of the war, as you know, the Brits, partook in excuse me nighttime indiscriminate bombing so they just Mm. carpeted germany and their 
mindset changed from, you know, civilians that got caught up in the bombs were collateral damage to no, that is a motivator for us to partake in this sort of bombing because that's demoralizing. So they went from, okay, that's something we can't avoid to know that is an aspect of what we're trying to do is taking out civilians and residential houses. So Hey, I've said it like five times, but war, man, it's tell it's crazy town. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the morning after where Bucky's got another night. He's like, Hey, I got another night. I'm going to do the same thing. You up for round two. And she's like, Oh, I cannot handle another dead pilot in a potato field. I'm sorry, but let's not make this more than what it is. Very practical. This woman, which leaves Bucky with a lot of thoughts swirling around in his head. And he goes, takes a walk. This is where we see this woman just wailing because her daughter got caught up in one of these residential bombings, which I'm sure that happened every single night during World War II. You know, your neighbor just gets taken out, et cetera, et cetera. There are some crazy number of of civilian casualties in London alone that I saw. I mean, it was upwards of 30, 40, almost 50,000. And like you're saying, innocent people turned into almost kind of the point. Well, we'll leave it. We'll leave it there. (laughs) One thing I want to say based off of these these scenes, especially the morning after is, man, one night stands would hit like a truck in wartime like this. I mean, he was obviously like, oh, oh, my God. He's like, we have this connection. Like, let's have another day together. And she's being more practical about it. And I'm sure he fucking obviously something immediately gets his mind off of her. Yeah, but I feel like he would totally be thinking about her for fucking days, weeks. Like, oh, I wonder what she's up to. I can't wait to get my leave back to London. Well, Bucky had his girl back home, so this was a little something, something on the side. And I guess I had That's the opposite or mentality. Third something, something on the side. That's true. And I, I guess I had kind of the opposite mentality where you know, if a one night stand doesn't go your way, it, he's living on house money right now. That's the entire fair. episode, he's been saying. Yeah, man, we're probably all going to die. Like, odds are. That's fair. So it's an interesting two sides of the same coin, I suppose. But let's tie this episode up. He's walking through. He sees the newspapers saying, you know, the 8th Air Force destroyed the Bremen U-boat base at the cost of 30 forts. And I think it's really interesting that newspapers just report that kind of stuff, like details of the missions. That would just be very interesting stuff to have in the news. But he immediately goes to a payphone and he calls Thorpe Appet, presumably. And I love how they're talking in code. He's like, hey, how was the game last night? What about Buck? Did he have a good game? He went down swinging along with most of the starting lineup and he deals with the emotions. He's like. Is there is there a game tomorrow? Good. I'm going to be there and I'm going to be pitching. Yeah. Bam. Great scene. So I good. Mean, we're going to see. Go yeah. Ahead. Apparently it's pulled. That's pulled straight from the book. The source material. I saw that people were saying that they were so pleasantly surprised that they did that scene like word for word from Crosby's like firsthand accounting that he wrote in the book, which is cool as fuck. That definitely feels like a scene you would read in the book and you wanted to adapt it and be like, oh my God, we got to do that. That's fucking cool. It sounds badass. Absolutely. And I'm glad they did. I thought yeah. it was cool. And uh, Bucky, Callum Turner got to flex his chops of just channeling his rage of losing his best friend into, 
yeah, I'm going to be piloting a plane and we're going to fuck these guys up. He's a fantastic actor. Yeah, he's really growing on me. He, I think he might be, I, for me, he's the best in the show. This show has been very well acted. Uh, he's the best, but it, it's very well acted. It's an ensemble cast. Band of Brothers was the same way. And I think a lot of these people are going to shoot to s- superstardom as a result of this show. Mm, but deservedly. I'll tell you what, I hope that part five, we get to see Bucky go in the air and just yeah take out his fit of rage. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because you got to at some level, you got to have a, a level head. You know, you can't really take a ton of emotion up with you into the air, especially as someone who's a pilot who's responsible at that point for, you know, eight to nine other lives. So, yeah, we, we know that he maybe doesn't have a ton of emotional maturity. So we'll see that the preview I saw. I heard like one line from the preview from him and it was like, OK, fuck, yeah, like got me hyped. So. <laughs> Very, well, I'll tell you excited. what, I don't think there's anybody in the hundredth now that Buck is gone that can check him on his worst impulses and have him give a fuck or shit about it. Yeah, I'm interested to see. I think next episode's going to be a really good one, as they all have been. Yeah. Yeah. We got some compelling television on our hands. I think the last burning question is going to be who takes care of Meatball now? They mentioned it in the episode. So and it, it was a question that was left unanswered into the wind. So we'll see. It's going to be lemons. Okay. Okay. Well, I can't leave the base. It's yeah. either that or the kids are just going to take him to his oh, families. But I like to think nice. it's going to be Ken. Okay. I can get down. I'll that. call him lemons. We're not on first name basis. Yeah. <laughs> fair. Ken lemons. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Good episode. Yeah. And anything else or is that all you got? I think that's all I got. I think we got it all out. That was fun. It's just a good show. I agree. I, every time we had that it's- episode, it's just a good show. It's just a good show. And Benchtown TV, we don't really step into our soldier boots and cover historical nonfiction or anything World War II. So this is definitely different for us, but I'm loving it. I yeah. really I really am loving it. Yeah. And as always, if you like what you heard, give Benchtown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BenchtownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, YouTube, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Benchtown TV, and thanks for listening. Cool, cool. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.